Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsight, the podcast that explores some of the most pressing topics for financial services. Insights that help you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsights. Today, my guest is John Sayer, who's Vice President of Client Success here at Kyrinos. Welcome, John, to the podcast. Before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about what your role entails here at Kyrinos? Sure. Uh, thank you, Rector. Thanks for the opportunity to have the conversation today. Certainly, no shortage of interesting market developments to, to cover here. Uh, my name is John Sayre. Uh, I've been with Kyrinos for about five years, and I manage our client success team. Uh, we work, my team works with lenders of all shapes and sizes, uh, including the majority of the top 100 mortgage lenders, lenders in the country, which, as you know, includes banks, credit unions, and independent mortgage banks. Uh, my team helps our clients effectively leverage our market data, our market intelligence, which we provide to them each and every day. I have been with the mortgage industry record for more years than, than I care to admit. So I've seen quite a few business and interest rate cycles you know, along the way. Great. Well, great to have you on today, um, John. The past few months have certainly been a roller coaster in the the mortgage market. Can you briefly tell us where things stood when the Fed started uh, raising rates in March of 22, and where we are now a few months later? Uh, sure. Really, since March, it hasn't really been much of a roller coaster. I'd say it's more like a rocket launch. Since March, conventional rates have gone up from about four percent to about six and one eighth, six and one quarter right now almost a straight line up. Over the past decade or so, mortgage rates would spike from time to time, uh, but there's always another rate decrease around the corner. As a consequence, there was wave after wave of refinance activity as homeowners repeatedly took down and took advantage of lower interest rates. What is less well understood, I think, right now is that refinance activity is obviously down significantly, Roger, but so is home purchase activity. The mortgage market is really dealing with a double whammy right now. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, the Fed funds rate changes is, is changed by the Fed, but that doesn't directly impact the mortgage rate. Is that right, uh, John? How does that work? Mortgage rates have been you know, influenced greatly by the Fed purchase of uh, mortgage tax securities and other investments in the market. And that plays another role. The yield curve plays a significant role. Obviously, mortgages, longer term rates. So shape of yield curve, Federal Reserve, MBS uh, buying activity, uh, supply demand, a lot of different influences aside from the Fed rate. Right. But the Fed doesn't directly set the mortgage rate. So it's all these different factors that you mentioned that have an impact. But when the Fed changes the rate, that changes immediately to credit cards and to home equity lines of credit. It doesn't immediately then change the, the mortgage rate because the Fed says so. But the market usually responds to it. And when we see Fed rates go up, we usually also see mortgage rates go up. That's right. Okay, now let's drill into ARMS a bit. So adjustable rate mortgages. Can you please first remind us how they work and then get into what's been happening in the ARM market in the last couple of months? Sure, really interesting space. There's been a significant shift in the nature of adjustable rate mortgages or ARMS. Uh, traditionally, ARM loans have adjusted every year every six months, or maybe even every month. Those frequently adjusting arms are really the exception now. 90% of the arms we're seeing today in our data have an initial fixed rate period of either seven or 10 years. 
this gives the borrower financial certainty, certainty for a pretty significant period of time. In fact, if you exclude government FHA and VA financing, we're seeing about 25% one quarter of the borrowers opting for an arm loan when financing their home purchases. A good portion of that activity, uh, granted, is in the higher loan balance or jumbo loans, as we described them. The other big development, I think it's, it's not very sexy, but it's, it's important. The other development in, in the R market is that the index banks used to determine the amount of interest rate adjustments has changed. Uh, the market has moved mainly to the SOFR or S-O-F-R index. That's the secured overnight financing rate, which is a measure of borrowing costs. And uh, that index is uh, prevalent uh, right now. Rucker, I'm sure you recall uh, the LIBOR index, the Treasury index, Treasury index still around a little bit. Uh, I remember the 11th district cost of funds being the prevalent index uh, way back when. Yeah, and that, that actually reminds me, uh, John, I, I have one of those arms, but mine is attached, attached to LIBOR. So I should probably call my bank and ask how that's going to go uh, in the future. But that that's uh, besides. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the mortgage market in general. With volumes down sure. so much, what are lenders doing to try to grab share and volume? Well, uh, mortgage lenders are searching their cupboards and dusting off dusting off all manners of uh, loan products. We're seeing a reemergence of the 40-year loan. Uh, not a lot, but some. Uh, Non-QM or non-qualifying loans, which is some, some exception-type loans. Uh, reverse mortgage loans. And all types of adjustable rate mortgages that we discussed earlier. Some of these products are really aimed at addressing affordability, trying to make mortgages more affordable, while others are niche products that lenders promote to really try to expand the universe of eligible borrowers. Think about growing the pie. What we're not seeing, which I think is really significant for me personally, what we're not seeing is a significant expansion of risk-taking like we saw prior to the 2008 uh, market crash. Wow. So there's have been a lot of changes in just the past few months. So what does this mean for fintechs that have been tipping their toes into this, this space in the mortgage space? Uh, it may be obvious to say, uh, Rutger, but whenever there's change, there's opportunity. And interestingly, the rapid increase in mortgage rates, I think, has opened up all kinds of alternative financing opportunities. Take uh, home equity lending, for instance. That is up, home equity lending up 50%, 5-0% year over year. Fintechs have been entering the space for sure. Their, their play in the market, their competitive strategy, I think, is speed and convenience. It takes traditional financial institutions probably 50 to 60 days to close home equity loans. Fintechs have been closing loans much, much faster than that. I would also consider unsecured lending up even more. Uh, we're seeing some lenders up 90%, 90% year over year, and we know this is a big space for fintech lenders. Uh, as borrowers sit on their low first mortgage rates, we all know that they will turn to home equity and unsecured loans for their financing needs. And this plays right into the hands of fintech lenders. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. I, I also see a lot of these uh, alternative solutions offered by fintechs where they take kind of like they invest in your equity, they take a portion of your equity, they give you a lump sum. And then, and then when you Ultimately, over time, when you sell the property, they basically share with you in in the 
um, value increase in your equity, which which I think is an interesting product as well because it doesn't require any repayment. It's not a loan. So in that sense, that also plays in, in, in this space as well. Certainly a new frontier. Exactly. Can you talk a bit about the mortgage servicing business? How, how are they handling the change in the business and, and what do they need to do to thrive in these uh, uncertain times? Uh, well, um, you know, if there is a rainbow in the mortgage market right now, the the pot of gold fits squarely with the mortgage servicers. For as you know, loan servicers get paid to collect the monthly mortgage payments. That future stream of income uh, becomes much more valuable the longer the loan servicer collects payments. Mortgage servicing rights have increased very considerably uh, over the past six months, especially the last few months, given the higher mortgage rates and the disincentive uh, that borrowers have to refinance their loans or even to sell their houses. So I, I really do think mortgage servicers are greatly advantaged right now, even add in the fact that delinquencies seem to be really in check right now. So it's, it's, a, it's a great time to be a mortgage servicer. Yeah, it's quite a quite a steady business because you you get paid just for servicing that loan, um, and and obviously it, if you do both, right? If you originate loans and you service loans, it it also seems to be a nice way to sort of hedge your business, right? If you're not making as much in originating loans, then at least you have your servicing asset and vice versa. Is that is that correct, John? It's a classic mortgage banker hedge. So yes, lovely when it works out the right way. I would say that given how dramatically originations have dropped for for lenders, it's, it's turned out to be a, a you know a pretty tough to offset that drop in originations. But certainly those uh, mortgage lenders that uh, have servicing a good chunk of servicing parked that they're that they're uh, buffered to the the market change much better than those that don't. John. We always ask our guests one question around any jargon or any terminology that they would either like to retire or reframe or they feel is overused. Is there anything that comes to mind uh, when, when you think of think of that? What What is a term or, or something that you would like to retire? Boy, that's a, that's a good, good question, Rucker. Um, I don't know. It seems like when we hear about the market, oftentimes people will, will refer to a market correction. I, I don't know that markets can be wrong. I mean, markets change. I don't know who's the judge that you know, the market was wrong in the first place and that needed to correct. I hear that used a lot, like somebody supposes something went wrong and then suddenly it went right again. Uh, so if I could retire a term, it would be uh, market correction. I think the market is always correct. It is what, what it is. That's a very good one. Um, so yeah, let's retire that. The market is always right. Maybe that's the statement we want to replace it with. But that is a very, very interesting one. Thank you uh, for that one, uh, John. And um, we usually end up on on a FinSight fact. Do we have a FinSight fact today from you, uh, John, of what's going on, something that you see in the data about the mortgage market currently? Sure. If I take a stroll uh, back to my... Um early years in the mortgage business, I started as a loan officer. And and back then, the, the lender that I worked for, actually, the preponderance of loans that we made uh, were arm loans. And to me, it was always the, the the interesting part of the business to explore that borrower trade-off between fixed rate financing and arm loans. And every situation is a little different. And the yield curve shifts and borrower needs shifts and so forth. So I always like doing the math on that. Not high math by any uh, sense stretch here, but 
let's just assume for a moment that there's a 1%, which is roughly, there is about a 1% uh, difference between an adjustable rate loan and a fixed rate loan right now. Uh, let's also assume that we have a borrower that's looking for a home in, I don't know, San Diego, my favorite place on earth, uh, and that uh, person needs $750,000 loan amount. Just doing the math on that, the difference in payments, that 1% difference in rate between fixed and ARM is about $470 uh, a month. Remember, the ARM is fixed for seven, say, 10 years. But just on a seven-year arm, that difference in monthly payments at 470 a month for the term of the first seven years equates to the borrower saving about $40,000, which I would say is not shabby, um, maybe even leaves a few extra bucks to, to buy a surfboard or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you live in San Diego, that that's probably money well spent and an amazing amount of money. So yeah, great uh, insight there. And thank you for all the great insights uh, that you always provide, uh, John. Thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And as always, thank you to our Kiranos Finsights team. Robin Seidel is our Director of Thought Leadership. Editing and production by our Senior Designer, Adrian Cohen. Project Management by our Marketing Communications Manager, Megan Brazette. Music is by Vision Studios. I'm your host, Rutger Vimfassen. You can find more insights at kiranos.com. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts.